Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord of mercy. All night, Sunday, Central. Follow me now. Say, I think it's the rolling hip hop. Say, Jay Rolls is the rolling hip hop. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Created for Marketers by Marketers podcast. My name is Billy Louisu, and we've been working hard to find marketing topics which will help you level up your skills, and that will blow your mind. Today is episode three of season four, and the topic for today is drowning in data. Where do we start? We'll be discussing all things data, the matrix, identity, integration, the data you should be prioritizing, and why should you even care about data in the first place? My guest for today is Warwick Matthews, a self-confessed data geek with more than 15 years experience in working with complex, cross-cultural, multilingual data and content in global companies. A Melbourne native, Warwick has also lived in Japan and the US and worked in markets across Europe, North America, and Asia. Wowee. Most recently, he was the leader of identity data at the American NFL, the National Football League, and is now CDO and CTO of CDL, a Japan-based startup specializing in compliance data. Warwick, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Great to be here. I'm great. Thanks. Awesome. Mate, what a resume. The NFL. That would have been uh, that would have been awesome. So Tell me a little bit about that, man. Like, well, actually, let's not let's not jump straight into that just yet because I, I have to pose a question to you so I can judge you first. Marketers and music, what music do you listen to when you work? What is your favorite album? Um, I, well, actually, my favorite album is one called Beauty by Ryuichi Sakamoto, who actually just passed away uh, in March this year. Um, and but it's like all it's like all favorite albums. It's really about where you were when you when you when you first heard it and yes. and the time of your life and for me that was that was me moving I, I had been an exchange student in Japan back in the <laughs> back in the late 80s um, and I had come back and I was just starting my sort of study my formal study in Japanese and Japanese studies and law and all that sort of stuff um, and that album landed and it was just it just really spoke to me because it was uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto was he was sort of well known for doing um movie soundtracks and things like that mm-hmm. he was a real pioneer in japanese electronic music oh cool and he was he was one of these guys who was really really well known by artists around the world so like david bowie and and all those guys like were, were really into him and so he he would get all these amazing collaborators um on his on his albums i've got to check him out i, I not many people stump me with an album i think i'm quite cultured when it comes to music and I have never heard of the album Beauty. So I'll push, put it in the links below and I'm going to have to listen to it, mate. So thank you. Excellent. And you're spot on. Music brings back a time in your life. It's just that linkage between the memories and music. You know, my favorite albums, if I could reel off the top five, absolutely link back to some of the best memories I've had. So, okay. You know, we're talking all things data today, right? So we talk the concept of drowning in data. Uh, starving for insights is obviously a huge, a huge statement mm. at the moment in, in the world. Like- Give me a brief introduction to yourself, what you do, why this topic is relevant to you. Um, it really goes back to, you know, when I, when I started my data journey, which, which was sort of around 2000, um, 
the the challenge back then for companies was getting the data right you had to get the data it was it was very hard to get mm -hmm. um, we didn't have anything like the sort of standard interchanges and then it was so everyone was very very focused on we've just got to get the data because we, we have no data and we've got to get the data and then of course, it was very expensive to store the data. You know, you were you were paying thousands and thousands of dollars for a couple of gigabytes of space to actually store the data. So, it's like anything. You know, companies, including um, marketing organisations, but also the businesses behind them, tend to build these mindsets and these cultural attitudes to to things, and then those tend to persist beyond their their usefulness. And so. Mm -hmm. Um, where we've gotten to now, like my my journey has has involved that sort of transition from yes, we can get the data, yes, it's much easier to store, um, all the way to the point that we are, as as you say, we're drowning in data. Like the data is coming at us from everywhere, and, and not only that, it's it's like um, John F. Kennedy said, it's not, it's got to the point now where you, there is so much data around. Just because you can do a thing, doesn't mean you should do the thing. Yes, you know, we actually have we actually have choices now. Whereas back in the past, we were so starving for anything mm -hmm. there wasn't any choice so that's been my journey and my journey has really been about being involved in companies and you know bringing that data in and and you know you would relate to this uh it, it, with your background too you know it's the ability to connect that data and make it valuable mm -hmm. that means that it's um that it's able to be used and actually produce the outcomes that we that we want from it so i was i was always about identity and connectedness and and finding ways to, to actually make the data um, meaningful for the for the consumers of it yeah yeah uh, it's fascinating you talk about the fact that you know storing it was so costly and we've, yeah. come, a long, we've come a long way in how we can store data and how we can activate data but the outcome in mind is so important and knowing what you want to do with that is is just fundamental to why you should collect it in the first place. So we're going to dive into some of those things because I think we can get lost and start to just play where the volume of data is and think that that's exactly. the data. we need to be doing exactly. something with that because there's so much of it. And you've got to look internally and say, well, what are we trying to do first of all? So I, I remember, I remember when the, um, you know, the, the Twitter firehose first came online oh gosh. and, you know, and, and we started to, and people started to say, well, you know, some of this data is worthless. And I said, no, wait a minute. I mean, all data has value. It's just that some of it has value approaching zero. And you've just got to get away from that great data, junk data sort of mm -hmm. dichotomy. And I think, you know, to, to your point, you know, that we are in that transition now. Yes. Yeah. I, I've got some perfect examples of that as well. And um, the, 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 when Google opened up their firehose and you could start yep. to see the yep. trends and the searches and, and the cultural impact that, that some of those huge uh, search you know, kind of trends we're having on the world. So many brands started to figure out, actually, we could plug ourselves into that, right? And we could plug ourselves into culture based on something that's trending in the market. And they started to see that their, their well, this was when social media took off, their social presence started to get a bigger following with that. I think then what happened yes, was like, exactly. do we need to start, do we need to plug ourselves into some of these movements because maybe our brand doesn't align with them anymore? And And then you started questioning, well, we should, probably shouldn't have done some of those other things. So it came back to why did we do it? And it was unclear. So we talk about one of the things, you know, the first moment I met you, you spoke a lot about everything we touch turns to data mm -hmm. and, you, and the matrix is the matrix is real. <laughs> Talk me through your yeah, thinking yeah. there, mate. Well, it's, it's, it, it, and, and I, 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 it's very cheesy, but I put this in, in slides when I'm doing, I'm doing presentations because, 
it's like that scene at the end of at the end of the Matrix, the first movie, when when Neo sort of has his revelation and he looks up and he sees Smith and and all the others and they're just data. And it's 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 like that in the sense that you know we we have the real world, but but everything that you look at in the real world has data attached to it. Now, whether that is you know literal data in a computer or or his attributes, but once you start to understand that um, you can effectively digitize any kind of information, it's like you, you were talking about some of that Google stuff that was exposed, mm. and it, it really opened our eyes to much more nuanced. Um, metrics around uh, user activity mm -hmm. once you start to see that you start to see inside the matrix and you actually see that we are all dragging around a massive amount of data whenever we interact with anything mm -hmm. and of course once you it's it, it, the way it's like the matrix because once you see that it's very hard to unsee it you know yes uh, i think the uh, uh, the analogy is spot on you know eleven thousand martech systems now as of 2023 that have been created and the term 90 percent of the world's data was created in the last what 12 two years 24 months and mm, so mm. you're right it is it is completely it is multiplying and accumulating and everything we do everything we touch everything we interact with has some sort of crumb left over that you you could arguably do something with it um what who knows i mean lots of people are or or, or not or, or, or sometimes you don't want things done with it you know and, and that's again that's where um it's not just that there's lots of data out there is that we either as collectors and custodians of data or as sources of data as, as consumers, you know, we, we have to be cognizant of that because um, it is part of our life now. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just, you can't just say, well, I, I'm not, I'm not really interested in collecting the data. So it does, that, that isn't true for me. It's still true for you, whether, whether, whether you believe it or not. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm going to put that in bold. We, you know, as a brand, <laughs> you are a custodian of data. You are, you know, yep. you collect that data on behalf of somebody else, and and you respect it. You treat it like a precious yep. gift. You you don't own it. Um, you you use yep. it to improve yep. the experience. Fundamental. I think it's fundamental. Um, methodology and insight. So, that's a thank you for saying that. Um, when we do use it, and we use it in the wrong way, you know, you also talk to the creep factor. Yep. And, um, the illusion. <laughs> of omniscience yes talk yes. me through that and because i'd love to hear your perspective on the creep factor we've all been there as consumers where it's probably gotten creepy so yeah it's it's like that uh you know that that uncanny valley um with robotics you know there there is a point where um an android goes from being cute like an anime type thing into well the uncanny valley says like like something looks like a dead thing you know some of those some of those very new um, interactive androids are actually just creepy and where you get that line it's it's hard to say it's the same with data in the sense that mm. you know the experiences with the cambridge analytica type stuff um, with meta with mm. with companies that were collecting data and to be fair to them in the absence of any sort of regulation or regulatory re regime around that data mm. um it became creepy it's to, to the point that you know, we've all seen Minority Report where the, where, you know, Tom Cruise is walking down and, and the billboards are speaking to him. <laughs> and back then it was kind of cool because that movie is now really old. But but to, it gets to the point now where, you know, it's kind of like you, you think about a, a new car and then suddenly you cannot escape things trying to sell you new cars through all kinds of media. And it, there is a, a perception that that is a function of massive data collection, of omniscience. Yep. 
And I think that that's actually not true, you know, and, and given that you see the matrix and you work behind the, behind the curtain, so to speak, we know that mm. a lot of this is done with very small amounts of data and then very, very sophisticated algorithms that can talk about your likelihood and, and, and likelihood of, 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 of taking the next, next best action, that sort of thing. So we have to sort of, we have to, again, come back to that, you know, just because we can do a thing, does it mean we should do a thing? And, yeah. and it's not just, you know, it's not just um, altruism. It's, it's, it's enlightened self-interest. If, mm. if you start to alienate your customer base or your potential customer base or your partner base by saying, I know everything there is to know about you. Um, so I'm going to create this mega customized experience. It's kind of like, well, how customized an experience do I need that to be? I mean, certain things, great, but some things mm. I don't need to be that customized. And so mm. the creep factor is again, not one thing. So that if I'm, if I'm mm. dealing with a, a medical, a medical situation, I want them to know absolutely everything there is to know about. Yeah, right? you're spot on. If I'm, if I'm buying a car, I want them to know about my interest as it relates to cars. I don't really need them to know about every, every other part of my life, my fashion sense and all that sort of stuff, because, mm. um, or I might, you know, depending, again, depending on my de demographics. So that, that creep factor, that line, yep. we've all got to become explicitly aware of it, but it's not all in one place. It's not just saying, gosh, mm. we know a lot about you and we're, and we're doing very invasive ads. So that's the creep factor. It, it, it is a very subtle concept, but a very important one. Correct. You, you think you're, you, you're spot on around the fact that you can understand likelihood and, and make assumptions on very limited amounts of data, right? And for everyone listening, you know, picking up someone's location, understanding their potential age, demographic, or gender, um, you can connect that with with other wisdom of the crowd data and start to make assumptions that well, maybe we can serve this person an offer if it's a, if it's a, if it's a if it's a male, you know, around a certain type of you know food offer if it's lunchtime. Um, Absolutely, you know, and it's 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 is it accurate? Mm, well, sometimes, but. What I think we need to, to your point, should we do it and is based on the industry and based on the category, there's probably different use cases, but I think what consumers want the most is choice. Um, they want the option That's to exactly say, right. I, I, I'm happy for you to do this uh, as long as they understand in plain English what you're asking them to do. And secondly, they can say, well, you know, in these use cases for these purposes, yes, otherwise no. And one of the things I saw last night, which was, which was weird, I, I didn't think Apple were doing this, but. Uh, a, a partner of mine had a meeting in her diary and it was at uh, 2 p.m. And she was running a few minutes late behind. Um, and her Apple phone sent her a notification saying, do you want to send a message to tell him you're going to be late? So I know how that works. It uses geospatial data. It can identify that you're not at the meeting yet because the meeting has a location and it knows you're not going to get there on time. Super, you. I mean, very creepy, but like, yes, is but, that useful? Could it could be useful, but you want the position to say whether you want those notifications or not. And you know, if you get very sophisticated, if it knows you're in the car and you can't reach the phone, then maybe that's useful. Again, it's very contextual, so maybe you'd like, oh, that's a lifesaver, Apple. Thank you. If mm. I'm just standing in the elevator, no, I don't really need Apple to send a. Yeah. You know, I think I can pick up the phone up myself. And another example that would be I have the, the trip at, you know, the for, for for traveling. Yes. Um, and it does the same thing. It will tell me whether I'm likely to make a connection or not. Now that in that particular use case, that is absolutely invaluable. But you yeah. know, outside that, do I really need to 
you know, the computer yeah. do that? No. And Apple, I think Apple I think, brands you as a persona, like a, you know, exactly. Mr. or Mrs. Late, you know, what do we need to advertise yes, exactly. to them? Your watch. <laughs> well, it, 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 it takes, it, as you, as you said, Billy, it takes away your choice because that creep mm. factor is really saying, we know everything there is to know about you. You don't need to tell us what we want. We know what you want. We're going to tell you what you want. Yeah. Um, and that's, in a sense, that's the that's the the heart of lifestyle marketing. Mm-hmm. So you, you're Nike and Apple type marketing, which says, you know, we we are this, we stand for this. We want you to join this lifestyle because it's really awesome. Yep. You know, we know you want this, but that's not actually saying we know everything there is to know about you, and you don't have yep. any choice in the matter. And that's that's when it becomes freaky. Yep. And and it's it's also where confirmation bias comes in. And again, these kind of psychometric things have been around for a long time in marketing, but they are becoming relevant in that data collection creep factor space because you know it's that whole concept of the um the confirmation bias in a, in a, um horoscopes mm-hmm. now horoscopes obviously scientifically don't work but we all read them and think they're oh that's that's amazing because you only pick up the stuff that actually is relevant to you and that's yeah. true with with um targeted advertising if mm. if hyper targeted advertising reaches you yep then it's great if it doesn't reach you. You don't. You, it's sort of just noise. But it, mm-hmm. you, there, there's this there's this um, very subtle line where there's too much hyper targeted advertising reaching me to the point that's like, oh, this is getting a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. You know, but for that all signal those... to noise ratio is getting too high. Yeah. For all those listening who who read their horoscopes and take them as factual, you know, continue to do so. Um, <laughs> spoiler spoiler <laughs> no, alert. No offense. No, no offense intended. <laughs> so. I had a I had a, a slide that I used to use a lot when I when I would present uh, at events, and it was a slide that says brands I'm loyal to, right? Um, what I say versus what my internet says, and mm-hmm. my internet searches would be things like, how do I get my child to stop um, eating peanut butter, or you know, how do I you know what else can he watch instead of Wiggles? Or um, how do I take nappy rash? And there were things that like, as a parent and as a new parent and, you know, other things like how do I get, you know, baby shark out of my head um, that I would start getting all these ads and I would start to get inundated with where I was at this point of time in my life. Mm. And these mm-hmm. brands would start to think there's some sort of affinity with me and that start communicating to me. And it was frustrating as hell. But the brands that I, if you asked me, what am I loyal to? Which brands do I love? I'd be able to tell you. And if it was to benefit my relationship with those brands, I'd be more than happy for them to have my data. So understanding the consumer and understanding their identity is a really, really important part. Um, obviously, a big position for, for, for us at Amperity is making sure that we have the best tools to help businesses get the better, uh, best identity of who their consumers are at a one-to-one human level. And mm-hmm. I know that's a lot of that stuff that you've done in your time uh, Warwick, if from a research perspective, from building your own identity tools inside of organizations, in particular, your most recent job at the NFL around understanding fan identity um, mm-hmm. and connectedness. Give us your perspective on on that and the importance of identity in the modern the modern day. I think, in a sense, it's it's. It's not not surprising that I would say it's incredibly important, but I think it's incredibly important in a way that is evolving very rapidly, very recently. So um, when I started doing identity resolution, actually it was called entity matching back then. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that was sort of in turn of the century. So, you know, about 2005, I started getting really seriously into it. Mm-hmm. Um, in um, cross-lingual sense, uh, we were matching in, in native Japanese and Chinese, which people told us was the, the, the third rail of, of technology um, development, and we were going to fail miserably. Um, and it's fast to say, you know, the, the spoiler is we, we succeeded. But the, 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 that was really about saying we had to have identity re- resolution, which was this, this thing, because we, we, just, we just had this sea of data and it wasn't matched and we didn't know what to do with it. And we didn't have super sophisticated marketing funnels and use cases and marketing automation. It was, it was really just that we, we were trying to build a data warehouse because that was the mm-hmm. thing, right? So this culture of, you know, people like me would go and evangelize identity resolution. So you've really got to understand, as you say, you've got to understand your, the identity of, the, of your subjects um, mm-hmm. You know, counter, counterparties, your customers as people. Mm. Now, I think, you know, in a sense, I think we've we've won that war. I, we, we've 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 made that case, and I think that, um, well, as you say, you know, eleven thousand uh, mm. uh, stacks around there, and there's more than that because there's also your your sort of MDM type stacks and your and your uh, ERP type stacks that are sort of transitioning into the into these spaces. Yeah. So, you know, you've you've We've made that case. Now, that doesn't mean it's done well, but there, there is this, you know, people now know what this thing is. It's not just, you know, the bit at the end of the process that says, you know, are these two names the same and I'm going to stick them in the database. Yeah. But I think what that change is, Billy, is that now it's really about data connectedness. You know, mm-hmm. it's really about saying we're not really here to say we have to understand that identity and we have to put it into that golden record and that data warehouse mm-hmm. you know it, that's a very it's a very powerful thing but it's a very linear process i have lots of data many many things i make them into fewer things by cleaning them up a bit and making them more more um, homogenous i use fuzzy matching and all that sort of good stuff to turn them into even more similar things i turn them into a single stream and i put them into a golden record and then i say to the to my marketing and business development and credit assurance and all those sort of people, my, my partners in the business have at it. Um, that was then, but I think now it's really saying, and, and this to be, to be, to be a, 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 an Amperity fanboy for tech, this is where Amperity does very well. Identity is really about saying, I can give you, it can be as simple as an ID or it can be a data structure. You know, we could geek out on that for hours, but <laughs> it, I can do things to connect all of this data that you're holding. You don't have to necessarily give it all to me. You don't necessarily have to put it all into a data warehouse, but I can connect all of these things so that as we are having these conversations about data, as we're trying to do things with the data, we can start to draw dotted lines around some of these records and say, this this is a person or this is this is the person and their behavior. Or this is the person and their relationship. So it's really about creating that connected universe of data as opposed to saying, I've got to shovel it all into one place and turn it into a single record. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I think like identity for me is, is, you know, we see companies who can give us millions and millions of different data sets and we can tell them, you know, outside of those 12 million, you've got 7 million customers um, or 7 million humans that you engage with. The importance of that, right, is as a business, you typically go to market with a product and a proposition. And that is where you start. And that is how the journey of starting your own business begins, right? Not every business starts yep. off as yep. Yep. Fortune 500. 
so when you create that product, it's about understanding the person who who's most likely going to benefit from that product, and you you market the the the, the, the proposition around the values and the benefits of that. Companies today have so much amounts of data that it's really important to understand the at a high level who the customers are you're engaging with, why they're continuing to engage with you, what mm-hmm. other products and services are you going to release or should you release or are they also benefiting from, what partner ecosystem should you be bringing on board to make sure that you fulfill more of that value proposition. If you're a business that's focused on health, what other relationships can you bring on board to benefit the consumer? So identity, when we're not even talking about the implications around the privacy laws that are going to come out and and what happens yeah, if you yep, get that yep. wrong, i.e. start to communicate to people either wrong way with the wrong messaging. Um, it's there's, there's so much implication. But if you speak to a consumer today, they will tell you, I want a brand who treats me like they know me. And at the end of the day, that is what identity is. It's keeping a customer's uh, data safe, connecting the information that they give you so you can have a true one-to-one relationship with them, not just to sell them things. Let's get that super clear, right? Yes. There's, there's it's a, a conversation. I, I, I want to have a conversation with you. That is it. That is it. I completely agree. So you've obviously done that for different verticals. You know, you've done- yes, absolutely. The most, most recent, the fan. Uh, talk me through that and, and how it changes the way it's it's- purposely built for those organizations well i think in in i think one of the one of the, just to to back up a little bit i think one of the challenges that we have is that you know there has been a perception that you know particularly if you're a very successful company say you're a, a mid-sized successful company and you feel like you've you've drained everything you can out of a particular segment or market so the the, the you become under huge pressure to chase additional segments and i mean you know and and what those are can can mean many number of sins but so everyone's trying to say, well, how do I go and attract that segment? How do I find that segment? How do I market to that segment? Because I want, I want, you know, I have $10 million and I want to spend 1 million bucks on chasing that segment. I think that mentality misses the, it misses the, the, you know, that sort of beginning point, which is what am I trying to sell? What, what is the relationship I'm trying to build back to your point? Like what, what do I stand for? What am I trying to offer to them in the first place? Mm. And I'm not saying that, you know, companies have to get really serious into navel gazing, but they have to to just stay clear about what it is they're trying to sell, what it is they're trying to be. And so to the NFL um, side of it and and the the, the franchises like it, one advantage that they have is that, you know, the NFL is is arguably the most successful sporting franchise in the world. Um, They are definitely in terms of volume. And they, you could, you could say that they possibly really have nowhere to go but down now. That's absolutely untrue when it comes to um, global markets. So, you know, uh, the NFL is doing some really wonderful work up here based out of the um, Gold Coast on um, on developing uh, the Asia-Pacific area. Um, but within the, within just within the, the sort of the, the American um, mainland, you know, it's not like they have to come to you and say, hey, Billy, would you like to buy some football? You know, it's a, it, it, just like the AFL and the, the, um, and, and rugby are here that the the these are fairly tribal things it's a it's a cultural thing that's what they're marketing to so they they sort of they're sort of lucky in the sense that they've been given that vector and that relationship with the customers because that's evolved over 100 years right so mm. the marketing the marketing um thing is to understand the fans better to actually 
have that conversation with them in a much more valuable way. So rather than me sending you 150 spam emails from the club, from other clubs, from from um, my partners, um, you know, commercial partners like beverage partners or or stadium partners, things like that. Let's let's figure out what what the fan wants from us because we have a relationship with them. We have very high elasticity of demand, and and they're coming to us saying we want to share our data, but we only want to share it if we're getting something out of it. We don't want to we don't want it to increase that volume. Um, that avalanche of, of information that's coming back because, you know, the whole thing about drowning in data is it actually goes both ways. Mm-hmm. The consumers are drowning in data too. Mm-hmm. And so that was really the challenge. It was to understand the, the fans better, make sure that we could um, give effect to what they want and help them to, to, yeah, sure, buy more stuff, but, you know, to know when their team is having a promotion or to know when their team's having an event or to know when a, a player they care about is going to be available for, you know, for autograph signings and things like that. So it can be anything. Um, and it also has that rate, that that compliance side to it. So the other thing is, you know, to make sure, because, you know, the, the American, uh, the laws in the American states are changing very rapidly. We obviously have the, the more developed stuff in California, but there's other other states that are rapidly coming online and there's even talk eventually about a national standard for consent and privacy and it's that you know you you never want to run your whole business saying well i have to do this and you know having a very you must thou shalt or thou shalt not approach to to the way that you you deal with data because that's a very sort of negative way of viewing Mm. it but by the same token if you get on the front foot and you actually um are proactive in the way that you manage consent and preferences with your customers, with your fans, they'll thank you for it. Because, because yes, share data with us, put it in this in this special place, make sure your record is accurate so that I'm not sending stuff to, to grandma, I'm sending it to you. Yep. And and I'll only send it when you want. And if you tell me to stop, I'll stop. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you build that trust, you know, you've all, you, you, in, these, in these sporting franchises, you have a very high level of trust already. So it's really a question of not damaging it not yet, not letting the commercial activities, which are completely healthy, damage that trust that you have with your with your fans. Yep. Yeah, it's it. You know how I said to you, I had that slide of brands I'm loyal to versus yeah, what yep, internet. Yep, yep, yep. My my football team was up there. That was yep. that was in my top three. You know, I I don't go to every game. I I got kids, so it's very hard for me to go to watch every game on the weekends and and travel with the team. But I, every game I watch on TV, that's that's there. And every yep. game they don't, I, yep. I listen to it on the radio. And my kids have got the gear. You know, I'm not going to talk about which team it is because I'm going to get judged. And you know, but, um, you know, super passionate. And I want a relationship with that team. Like, you know, I, I care. You know, actually like, you know, the camaraderie and the, and the players and the coach and all that sort of stuff. So, yep. But they've 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 never outside of wanting to buy a ticket to be or become a member all the time. The engagement's not as great as it could be. So there's definitely no, ways that you no. can do that in a, in a compliant way and keep me as a fan ultimately and it, engaged and loyal. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we talk about the compensation and we talk about the creep factor and all those sort of things. It, it, it also, it isn't like I've had one too many emails. I'm, I'm no longer interested in, in supporting <laughs> my team. They, they, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's an elastic conversation. It might be that, that, the, that the franchise or the team or the, or the league reach out to and say, look, how about this? How about that? And you're like, oh, that, this is a bit much. Mm. Again, if you have that ability to dial it back, you're not going to hold it against them. You know, mm-hmm. being, 
control. Being a little bit entrepreneurial is not a bad mm. thing. You know, come chasing me and saying, "Look, are you interested in this?" Um, mm. An example is a, a, a of of not doing this well is a is a particular website that um, that sells stuff cheap based out of China um, mm. that you probably know. <laughs> Every time I go into it, it wants me to, to switch on notifications, you know, browser notifications. And browser notifications are, are very in your face. And mm. once they're on, you've got to, it's really hard to turn them off. Every time I say no, and I have, a, you know, I've logged in, I have an account, and every time they ask me, and it's becoming mm. very frustrating because I, I do not want them to be popping up offers and all that sort of stuff <laughs> every, on every time I go into the internet. In the middle of a right. keynote presentation, so, oh, apologies. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, you present through um, Google Slides now, so arguably it can it can pop up. So, yes, it, it can uh, absolutely. Um, and um, uh, so there is it, it's again. I don't mind that it popped up. I mind that they're not listening to my answer. Yep, yep. They're not. They're not. Uh, yeah, they're not taking your answer seriously or they're not storing it against your profile it's not a conversation and alone, it's, don't, don't know it's a broadcast yeah exactly correct exactly. it's a broadcast so we know we speak about the, the the laws changing in the u.s rapidly that's happening here in australia too um you know the a privacy proposal is is pretty much putting a stop to bad data practices and trying to make sure that you know we're not just continuing to collect data that's that's of no you know that we as a consumer they've got no idea why you, how you're collecting and what you're doing with it so as a as a business if i'm thinking about this post cookie world what data do i actually need where should we what should i start you know if i'm looking at now building a first party data strategy what's your philosophy on that um well to be a bit cheeky i'd say well what do you want to do with it um and <laughs> I want to understand my customers talk- <laughs> Yeah, 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 but but you know when 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 you're you know when I'm I'm talking to the C-suite or whatever and, and saying you know they say well we 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 want to connect all this data we've got all these sources you know we're drowning in data war you keep telling us so can you why can't you just give it to give us give us everything all the time it's like well what what do you actually need um and that's I'm not I'm not asking that in the data minimization formal sort of GDPR esque um uh, sense of it I'm I'm asking it in the sense of well. What is it you actually want to do with the data? Because maybe it's it's worthwhile investing more money in less data that's better. Mm. You know what I mean? As of, as opposed to having to you know to measure success, and and we still do. And you know there are a number of platforms that Amperity competes with that very much give you nice scores about how filled out your records are, mm-hmm. um, how complete your records are. It's like well, a, a perfect example is you know I I had a, a conversation with a, a, a partner at the NFL and we were talking about data completeness and they don't care where you live they care what your postcode is because that has a distance to stadium and they care what your email address is but mm-hmm. no they're not sending you catalog in the yep. in the in the post right so that massive part of a of a customer record was not relevant to them now it is absolutely relevant if you are if you are a, a different company let's say you're the um you're a cellular phone provider and you still send out paper bills then you do need to know where the person is and you will have a process for making sure that that you keep that address up to date because if if the oh well i should say that that conversation will happen so that the the subscriber the 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 user will keep that information up to date because Mm -hmm. they get their phone system cut off if they don't pay their bill correct so it, it it really comes to what are you trying to do with the data and 
that's not a monolithic answer. So what are the different parts of my business trying to do with the data and what do they need? And we can actually look at the cost benefit analysis of, of do I need to acquire third party data? Or as, as you were sort of giving to Billy, what do I need to do to get my um, targets, my, my customers, my um, previous customers, um, what do I need to do to get them re-engaged to actually share data with me? So it's not just mm -hmm. get all the data, get them re-engaged, sell them stuff. It can be have enough data to re-engage them, have a process or a, or a, a, a deliberate plan to say, how do we get more data out of you to, to, to have a better conversation with you yeah. and then sell them stuff. Yeah. And someone once said to me, data is, data is like milk, you know, it expires. So you make sure that, you know, you think about do more with less in the, in the data world, Yes, 30% of your customer data is probably your core consumer customer data and the way that they in, buy and transact with your brand, which does really give you insight into who that customer is and the data they're sharing with you. The other 70% is forever changing. And that's a lot of the time that's your, um, it's your interactions, it's your web activity, it's your email opens and click-through rates, like the biggest portion of your customer data is not data that you really as, as a business really can, you know, it's changing. You can't wrangle it. You try to wrangle it, but it's always going to change based on the, the who's providing you that data asset. Google Analytics. Yeah. And Apple's yes, open absolutely. and click-through metrics as a, as a, as a, as a vendor. Who is it? So if you're going to focus, focus on what I say, focus on the land, don't focus on the water, focus on what you can control and what's structured and what gives you the most insight. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, um, uh, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from from that sort of land water analogy in the mm. sense that we 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 again coming coming back to what you we were saying before the business if the business knows what they want to do what they, how they want what what kind of relationship they want to have with that that user then then let's talk about the data that you need to, to achieve that mm. because um I, I was just thinking you know 15 years ago when i was when i was um doing a lot of these sort of um, homegrown or, or, or um, homemade uh, uh, um, identity systems. Yeah. Um, Net Promoter Score was the big thing, right, yeah. NPS. And Net Promoter Score is really saying, you know, what, what is, how do people feel about my brand or how do they feel about the products that they buy from me? And, and it, we don't talk about it quite as much anymore because we've sort of gone past it in terms of propensity models and other sort of things. But if you think about it, you could have the concept of a Net Promoter Score in, in relation to the sharing of data. If you, if you understand as a business how people feel about sharing data with you, I think that's a very compelling piece of information because it's one thing to say I'm having trouble getting data or I need to invest X amount of dollars in getting data and I, you know, I'm, I've got the whole land sea thing, I'm concentrating on what I can actually do. Mm. But you know, I would think that if, you're, uh, if, you're, if you roll back a few years, if you're Facebook um, you know, pre-meta, um, mm. that would be a negative number. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, they had such strong elasticity of demand and, and momentum. They they were able to obviously come back from that. But in terms of actually conscious people making conscious decisions about sharing data, they were not super happy about it. No, not at all. And if you look at the data that they were using, it was, you know, brands are you following? What's the sentiment of your posts? There was a whole heap of things. Yes, exactly. exactly. Conversation for another day. Um, yep. Warwick, uh, we're getting towards the end here. If you, you know, very, very valuable conversation and um, we could talk for, for hours on this, so we may need to do a part two, <laughs> but what is one skill you think 
businesses, marketers need to take away based on what we've discussed? Um, I, I think that we need to have a have more sophisticated conversations about what the data we need is, and 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 when I say what the data we need is, it's like when we when it comes to identity, let's assume that yes, I can quote unquote buy identity, but what is it I want to actually do with it? And that's that's where they have you know conversations with with Amperity to say, um, okay, we know what your system can do, but what is that actually going to mean in terms of activation for us? And I think that that's a that's a really valuable conversation to have these days, rather than say I'm chasing a certain metric because metrics are lovely. They make people like me look like heroes because I can say, you know, your fill rates are X, Y, and Z. But really, you know, what we don't want is the the operation was success, but the patient died. What we want is everyone to go home happy. So it, it's that, what am I trying to do with the data? Therefore, what, what does that mean? What do I need to get out of it? What do I need to collect? What do I need to protect? Yep. Yep. Data. So, yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And one one last question buzzword bingo hopefully we didn't talk too many buzzwords even though identity <laughs> resolution has has become one as of late yes absolutely um what is your favorite buzzword of 2023 um my favorite one i suppose in, in the sense of most notorious is data fabric um i think data fabric is one of those ones that's like you know and we we had we had um big data we had internet of things we have all of these sort of things and 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 they're one of those you can tell that it's a buzzword because you you're sitting down with the ceo and the ceo says to you we need to get more of x <laughs> you know i've been reading in i've been reading in the harvard business review we need to get more of x and i think data fabric is one of those um not to say that it's it's not a useful thing but it it doesn't i don't think it means anything new i think it's i, I think it's i think it is a marketing uh term from people like me to actually say, mm -hmm. I, I want to sell services to you. What, what, yeah, data fabric. I, I've heard that one recently. Obviously, you know, Microsoft launched fabric, and there's a couple of other vendors now talking about data fabric. But in simplest terms, is it just an accumulation of services that, you know, they're, they're clumping together as this is now our data fabric, data lake, data warehouse, SQL databases, applications? Pretty like much. Yeah. It's 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 sort of like a, a, it builds on the concept of the data lake, where rather than trying to, it's, it's I guess it's it's attempting to make a brand of that movement to get away from monolithic data warehousing. Got it. So you can you can manage data um, in a connected way as opposed to having to shovel it all into one place. Got it. And therefore, what that, where it's become a buzzword is it, it then becomes a way of saying you need to buy these five things to do that. Yeah, because you need to connect connect it like fabric. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Weave it, weave, we intertwine it. Weave it. Weave it. Exactly. Exactly. You need all this equipment to do it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, I am, I am, you know, a part marketer, part technologist, part designer. So I would say that uh, you can find a buzzword and and twist it and communicate it in a way that's very compelling and. You know, mm -hmm. we've seen it happen time and time again. So thank you for sharing that one. It's definitely a new one and it's a trending one. Um, Warwick, thank you so much, mate. Uh, it's super insightful conversation. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's so many things we could jump off the back of this and have further conversations. Your knowledge in, you know, just 
you know, we could go deep on identity, but your knowledge in just, you know, how to use data, the application of data, what data is important is something I believe the Australia market now is challenging the most with as we're heading into mm, this overhaul. Absolutely. So Spot on. Uh, best of luck in everything you do and really appreciate the chat, my man. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Billy. Cheers.